Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed towards this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Exodus 3, verse 21. This is God talking to Moses on the eve of the great Hebrew advance out of Egypt, away from 400 years of captivity. My friend through words, Max Lucado, says this about the verse. The Israelites left Egypt not only with their freedom, they left Egypt with silver, gold, and clothing. Whatever they asked for, the Egyptians gave it. You'd have thought it was giveaway day in Egypt. Oh, I'll have your gold, your vases, and all those silk robes. And they said, take it all, it's yours. God softened the hearts of the oppressors. He turned them from beasts into benefactors. God and his plan defined history, not the Pharaoh or his court. Who directed the hearts of the rulers? God did. Who directs the decisions of rulers? God does. The Lord is sovereign. We need to understand that and behave accordingly. Come on, I know there are times and I'm guilty that I wonder if God does know what he's doing. I'm trying to think of an earthly comparison here of someone I would never question. And to be honest, I'm afraid I can't. Not the Queen, the Pope, our government. Can we be excused for questioning God since we have no good examples on earth? Surely not. God is absolute, all-powerful, right, the light, the truth, and our Savior. Let's learn to trust him as we can trust no other. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Sherry Hayes, mother of a large family whose one-room schoolhouse is bursting at the seams. I'll be talking politics this week, a taboo but necessary topic, and I'll bring you up to date on the battle with the squirrel family who are trying to stake their claim for wintering in our house yet again. A couple of showers and a dance performance will also feature. It has warmed up and cooled back down again this week, so my drink is the usual tea and pumpkin roll cake is my elevensies treat. Have a sit down with me for an hour and enjoy the latest musings of an American Brit. Now that the votes have been counted and the results are in, I decided to go to my buddy in prose, Max Lucado, and share some of his words of wisdom on how to deal with the results of this general election. Because, as the poet John Lidgett said, you can please some of the people all of the time, and you can please all of the people some of the time. But you can't please all of the people all of the time. A lesson in logic for you. Imagine the following situation. It's post-Civil War America. You and your family and ancestors have been slaves for several generations. You've known no other life than back-breaking cotton harvesting beneath the southern sun. Then comes the grand news of the Emancipation Proclamation. You and your family are free to go. There's only one problem. You and your family have no resources. How can you begin a new life? You have no property or money, or savings, or transportation. 
So you go to your former owner and ask him to finance your new life. Huh. You ask the plantation owner to give you wagons, clothing, and property. Hmm. The only thing more bizarre than the request is the former owner's willingness to agree to it. He not only gives you the basic provisions, he gives you more than you could imagine. Those silver candlesticks you polished? Yours. Those cattle you fed? Yours. Those wagons, weapons, and clothing you managed? All yours. Sound far-fetched? Impossible? Biblical. If you remember the story of the Israelites in ancient Egypt, it might. The Israelites were oppressed people, forced to make bricks without straw. After 400 years in Egypt, many of those years spent in slavery, God intervened and liberated the nation. In short order, they went from a nation of slaves to a nation of freed citizens. Yet how could they survive? They had no resources for their new life. They were pyramid builders. How area-specific was that? Then the unbelievable happened. The Egyptians funded their exodus. God had instructed Moses that he would pave the way for the Hebrews using 10 plagues and the parting of the Red Sea to leave Egypt and furthermore to take great riches with them. Each woman, he told Moses, should ask her Egyptian neighbor and any Egyptian woman living in her house for gifts, silver, gold and clothing. Put those gifts on your children when you leave Egypt, he said. In this way, you will take with you the riches of the Egyptians. Exodus 3, verse 22. Their owners sent them on their way with good wishes for the future and riches. The election's over. The global economy is fragile. National morality is in a downward spiral. Does anyone know the next step? The right path? Can anyone get us out? Some of us think our re-elected president will. Some of us don't. So who can? God can. As believers, we look at politics through a different lens. We believe, first and foremost, that God is the God of all nations. Washington doesn't call the shots. God does. The Congress doesn't direct the future. God does. The Bible is chock full of moments in which God managed the hearts of monarchs. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. Proverbs 21, verse 1. His sway over the Egyptians was just one example. Here are some more. Daniel was taken into captivity by the Babylonian kingdom. As a young man, he resolved not to eat the food from the king's table. When he requested permission to create his own diet, the Bible says, now God calls the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. That's in Daniel 1.9. This was a serious request. The official could actually lose his life by granting it. Yet he ruled in Daniel's favor. Why? Because God prompted him to. God also intervened with Nehemiah and King Artaxerxes, ruler of Persia during the 5th century BC. Nehemiah, the loyal cupbearer, was of Jewish ancestry. Hostile forces had flattened the walls that once guarded the city of Jerusalem. Even the gates had been burned. The few remaining Jews were in great trouble and shame. Nehemiah responded in prayer, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Nehemiah 1.11, this man was the king. Nehemiah couldn't leave his side. He was on call 24-7. So if he was ever going to be able to help the people of Jerusalem, it would only be with the blessing of the king. 
But why in the world would Artaxerxes release Nehemiah to travel to a distant outpost? Nehemiah asked God to do the work. Two days. See, he's very optimistic. And we know all about God's timing. The answer to his prayer took nine months to come, but it did come. Artaxerxes noticed the sad face of his servant and asked for an explanation. And Nehemiah was hesitant. He became dreadfully afraid. Still, he told the king about the devastation of Jerusalem. One might wonder how the king would respond. How would he answer? Why would the king of Persia concern himself with Jerusalem? Yet he did. What do you request? He asked Nehemiah. And Nehemiah asked for time away, letters of endorsements, supplies, horses, soldiers. And so it was that the Persian king was prompted to grant the unlikely blessing, the reconstruction of God's city. Nehemiah was a brave, faithful servant of God first and Artaxerxes second. One of the most astounding examples of God's sway over the nations is mentioned almost in passing in the book of Exodus. The Hebrews and their prayer pilgrimage. Three times a year they were instructed by God, all your men are to appear before the God of Israel. I'll drive out nations before you and I'll enlarge your territory and no one will covet your land when you go up three times each year to appear before the Lord your God. Exodus 34. All commerce, education, government and industry came to a halt while the people assembled to pray. Can you imagine this happening today? Can you imagine all the members of our military, police force, first responders and security teams leaving their posts and gathering in one place to praise and worship God? Our country would be utterly defenseless. Yet God promised to protect the territory. He promised no one will covet your land when you go up. So who controlled the impulses of the enemies? God did. Who prompted the Egyptians to favor the Hebrews? God did. Who directed the official to be kind to Daniel? God, who softened the king's heart towards Nehemiah? God, who kept the enemies at bay while the Hebrews worshipped? God, who controlled the destiny of the nations? God did, and God does. Others may worry about how the election turned out. Others may grow bitter from party or petty rivalries. Others may cast their hope with the people of the elephant or the donkey. Others may anchor their future with conservative or liberals, but not us. We place our trust in the work of God. How many kings has he seen come and go? How many nations has he seen stand and fall? He is above them all and he oversees them all. So while others get anxious, we don't. Here is what we do. We pray. We pray for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 1 Timothy chapter 2. The initial topic of prayer here is the rulers and all who have authority. We ask God to use them to facilitate a haven for quiet lives and peaceful worship. Why? Because God wants all people to be saved. The government then is a tool of God. Its leaders are servants of God. In Romans 13, we're told there is no authority except that which God established. For the ruler is God's servant to do you good. Sounds like a difficult piece of teaching, doesn't it? It's not always ours to understand the whys and hows of this verse. Why does God permit evil dictators to occupy office? How does he use them? We aren't told, but he does. He'll turn bad to good. When we pray, we will discern how. Now that the election's over, let's ask God to unite our country, strengthen us and anoint our president. Paul urged us to pray that we may lead quiet and peaceful lives. Do you think our nation promotes a life of quiet and peace and holiness? If not, 
Might the problem be the fault of the church and its people? God's promise is clear. If my people will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear them. Only God can unite the nations. Let's ask him to do that. In Christ's name we pray. We live in a democracy, thank God. And our time here is fleeting. Do we have the right question? How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. If you're ready for a big change in your work, your career, your happiness, your life, it's time for the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 central on Toginet.com. Marla believes that with the right mindset, anything is possible. Join us as successful life coach Marla Tabaka inspires you and her clients to explore, discover, and live your dreams by developing what she calls the million-dollar mindset. Marla will inspire you to take action on your dreams and reveal secrets to success that will help you realize your own unique power. Tune into the million-dollar mindset for heartwarming stories with Marla Tabaka. Learn tips and tricks to building a successful business and unlock the secrets to creating a happier, more balanced life through abundant thinking and attraction power. For more information on the Million Dollar Mindset, go to our website, MarlaTabaka.com. That's M-A-R-L-A-T-A-B-A-K-A.com. It's the Million Dollar Mindset with Marla Tabaka. Monday afternoons at 2, 1 p.m. Central on Toginet.com. In today's business world, a helping hand or idea that doesn't come with an invoice is a treasured find. And if that happens to you, then you need to pay it forward to keep other entrepreneurs from making mistakes or getting a raw deal. It's called Paying It Forward with Josephine Gerard. Wednesday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Josephine is going to have the guests describe their accomplishments, the lessons they've learned, both good and bad, and then sharing those pieces of knowledge as we create a movement of paying it forward. For more information about Josephine, her business, and background, you can go to mymomknowsbest.com. Josephine Jirasi has always been a problem solver. She saw this need and has turned it into a movement. It's paying it forward with tips, tools, and advice, and hard lessons learned. These pieces of knowledge can make a huge difference for you, your business, and others. So join us for Paying It Forward with Josephine Jirasi, Wednesday mornings at 10 a.m., 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginet. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, I'm back, and my guest this week is Sherry Hayes, an inspiring Christian mother of 15 wonderful children who's been homeschooling for 24 years. She's seen the graduation of seven of her children from her home in colorful Colorado, and she and her husband, David, are enjoying rearing the remaining eight still under their tutelage. Sherry has been a proactive advocate for homeschooling, a key speaker for homeschool support groups, and a successful writer encouraging practical biblical family living on her blog for more than eight years. Sherry, welcome to my show today. Oh, hi there. Well, um, I'm sure Colorado is very colorful right now. Well, actually, we're in a time of year where everything is kind of brown everywhere, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So do you see, do you have a lot of trees on your land around you? 
Well, actually, we live in a regular old suburban house with mm-hmm. a little plot of land, but we do have a pine tree and some aspens. Oh, okay, but do they change? Well, the aspens, do they change color yet? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, everything, yeah. Everything's ready for some snow around here. Well, good, good. <laughs> do you get a lot of snow in the winter right there? Actually, you know, we live in kind of an arid part of Colorado. So um, we see some snow. We have a lot of sunshine here, which I think draws a lot of people. So we have, a lot, we have a lot more sunshine in the winter than we do snow. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that's good. At least it keeps the spirits <laughs> up, right? Oh, yes. Oh, we love the Colorado sunshine. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's fun because in the, in the wintertime we can have our kids run out and play. It's not like we have a lot of rain and things. Our, our children really enjoy the out-of-doors all year round. Yeah, yeah. Well, that sounds great. Well, Sherry, tell us about yourself. Who was Sherry before she became a mum? Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a very long story. But actually, I became a mom at the age of 19, so it can't be that long. <laughs> but actually, um, I was in the, in the U.S. Army. Oh, you were? I, when I became a mom the first time, yes. Mm-hmm. I was a soldier. Mm-hmm. I went to basic training, and I had to learn all the ways to try to be a man. You mm-hmm. understand. And mm-hmm. I had my fill of it. And then I, uh, I became pregnant. I was married at the time. And I became pregnant, and um, I had my first baby, and I just realized that my life had to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, my priorities were different. I I couldn't imagine leaving, when I first had her, I couldn't imagine leaving her alone with anyone for any amount of time. Mm-hmm. However, I was, I was told that I had to stay in the military until my time was up, and that was a heart-wrenching time for me. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I did know a Christian family. And the mother was committed to being a stay-at-home mom, and I think the seeds that she planted in my life mm-hmm. confirmed what God was already speaking to me. Mm. So how and, many years? So you had to stay in the Army for how many more years? Um, actually, it wasn't, thankfully, it wasn't, it was like only a year. Okay. So okay. That, that, that made it really nice. Yeah. And then, yeah. and then, <clears throat> when I had my second son, then that's when I was home full time. My, my my second child, my first son, that's yeah. when I was home full time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, you did you start homeschooling straight away, or did you experience sending your children away to school first? No, we we homeschooled from the beginning. Um, mm-hmm. When we had our little ta- daughter, and she was turning five, we knew we had to make some choices. Mm-hmm. And I knew that I didn't want to put her in public schooling, but uh, so I looked into private schooling. I, my grandmother even offered to pay for a private school. But the more research I did into homeschooling, uh, the more convinced I was that that was the direction we should go. All right. So, um, do you, you? I know you have a large family. Is there a large family support group that you can tap into? Because, you know, a lot of what you are dealing with, somebody that's only got a couple of children or maybe four, even maybe, well, maybe six might be able to have the same kind of, um, you know, sort of think about the same kind of things as you do. Um, Really, you know, families that don't have a large number of children are not going to relate to life in the same way that you do. So do you have a support group? Oh, no, no. I, Actually, that's kind of been one of the cries of my heart. Um, for a lot of the years that I, I had certain families around me, a certain women that were making the change to accepting as many children as God gave them. But really, I, 
I haven't had that many uh, mentors in my life. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's probably why I started my blog, Large Family Mothering, because I had such a heart of compassion for women like me mm-hmm. who, who said, you know, Lord, I want to trust you for these children, but I just feel so alone. I don't mm-hmm. know how to do this. You know, can, mm-hmm. is there someone in my life that you can give to me that can give me some idea of how to go about things? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And... Um any of your births multiples, or did, were they all single? No, they've all been singletons. Why? Well, I mean, yeah. I didn't mean why. I meant wow. <laughs> because sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you hear that, you know, there are a couple of twins in there or, you know, a yeah. triplet, set of triplets. So, well, yeah. Well, well, twins don't run in my family. So. No. Mm-hmm. Wow. I, was, I was walking the other day around the pond thinking about you and your family, and I figured out that you had been pregnant for 11 years and three months. Yes, exactly. And yes, I've been, I, 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 thought, I, I always say I've been pregnant for three years thinking that sounds like a long time, but goodness me. <laughs> well, someone once <laughs> told me, I was expecting like my fifth child, and she said, what are you, a glutton for punishment? You know, <laughs> meaning that who would want to be pregnant that much? But, you know, and and I I have suffered through horrible morning sickness for the first three months most of the time. Mm. And and it's not a fun time. And it's a time when our family life, you know, we have to go through a lot of changes and they're not always fun. Mm. But I've always considered that God was using that time to soften me and break me down so that I would need him more. Mm -hmm. And and it was a testimony to all of our children that life, life, the life from God, is so important. It's more important even than our personal uh, comfort. Mm. You know, to to be willing to obey him, uh, even in the hard things. Mm-hmm. So, your children do they enjoy having such a large family? I know they they oh, don't have yeah. any choices, and they probably don't. You know, <laughs> you, you well, you know, don't I mean? have you've got neighbors, right? So they can see that other families aren't as large as they are, and maybe yeah. other children. Uh, you know, have more, I mean, you know, your children are going to be normal like every other child. I have my children, you know, oh, do we have to share that again? You know, uh-huh. I just have one on my own. Uh-huh. Do you, you have that? Well, not as much as I guess, well, when I grew up, um, the idea was everything had to be fair. In other words, if one child got a lollipop, the other child got a lollipop. Well, when you have Ten children, and somebody only gives you three lollipops. You have a choice to make, yeah. and you have to you have to train. And this is this I think is life training. You have to train your children. I'm going to be happy for someone else when they're blessed, and God will give me my time when I'm blessed, and they will be happy for me. And that's kind of how we've done that. And actually, I know that in this day and age, everybody's supposed to have their own rooms, you know. And when I was growing up, you know, that was the goal to have your own room and. But our children, like, right now they're sleeping straight to a room, even though we have a large house. Mm-hmm. And um, when I put them to bed at night, I'll put them in their separate bed, and it's like there's a thunderstorm in the morning, I'll find them all piled together. <laughs> yes. And it, it's just that special togetherness that they yeah. really enjoy. Yeah, yeah. So you decided right from the start, you and your husband, that you were just you were going to trust God um, with as many children that He blessed you with. Is that right? No, no, we did not. No. Okay. So we, how did we, that happen? Yeah. Well, we we stopped, We we were like just like everybody else, you know. We can only handle a couple kids, you know. How can we do this financially? Um, we don't have a big enough place to live in. Uh, what if what if my husband's jobs aren't that great? You know, how could we afford all this? 
And we started reading different, some different books. We ha- I had a friend who gave us the book, The Way Home by Mary Pride. Yes. And we read through that, and it started making sense to us. Mm-hmm. And, and we prayed about it. And actually, in our heart of hearts, we really didn't want to stop having kids. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were afraid to let go because we thought we were being irresponsible. And but when we when we realized when we started reading the scripture and also uh, C H Spurgeon has a commentary on the Psalms called the uh, Treasury of David, and we we read through um, his commentary on Psalm one twenty seven and one twenty eight, and we realized that God really has given children to us as a blessing as a heritage, mm-hmm. and that where He sends mouths He sends meat, and so we decided to take the plunge, and that was when we were expecting our fourth child. Mm-hmm. Okay, and your your children, you have some children that have left. Have they left home or just graduated uh-huh. from homeschool and they're in yes. college? What what do you mean oh, by well, that? Actually, um, none of, actually, I've only had three in college and they've all graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a daughter that's going to go for a certificate program mm-hmm. um, in January for illustration. She illustrates lots of things on my blog. Mm-hmm. And so she's just going to go for a certificate. She won't have to take me a general ed. But, yeah, I, I have three of my children have graduated. Actually, two of my children work for the community college where they graduated from. One of them has designed the website for the community mm-hmm. college, mm-hmm. and the other one is in charge of illustration and teaches classes. <laughs> yeah, well, that's great. That's great. Yeah. But so do they still all live at home? No, 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 no. no. I have uh, uh, actually technically seven that are gone now. So we only have eight. Oh, okay. Okay. Any married? Uh, yes, I have four married. Okay. And any grandchildren yet? Yes, we have, um, actually five or six. Okay. We have five children. The sixth one is due in March. Right. You are going to have a hard time keeping up with all your grandchildren. (laughs) Yeah. That's, you know, that's another thing too. That's another on the other side, you know, when you have all your little kids at home and then when you start having the grandchildren and Mm -hmm. you're deciding, well, the standard for grandparents in this age (laughs) and how we're just not going to be able to keep up with that. But then God has solved that too, because they have so many aunts and uncles, you see. And so it's all, you know, my, my older children all hang a lot together. Uh-huh. And they support each other, even though they don't live with us. Like they're in business ventures together, they call each other, they hang out together mm-hmm. on the weekends. So they're really a great support to each other. Yeah, and are they going to homeschool as well? Um, I yeah, my my oldest daughter she has three. She's homeschooling. 